If you ever want to make the public mad, spoil a favorite TV show that they've been binging, the ending of an epic movie, or even just like the end of a popular story or a book they're reading, a novel, we always want the spoiler alert. We want to know that you're about to give us insight. Because here's the thing. In storytelling, in being able to hold people's attention, it's not the ending that we're holding out for. It's the journey. We want the characters and the people within that story to have earned the happy ending. And we don't know if they do unless we could have been along for the road. And so often public speakers and and storytellers, entrepreneurs who are out there talking and sharing ideas from their business, we ruin it because we just cut to the end too soon. We don't bring our audience into our story. And that's what we're talking about on this episode of the Mic Drop Moment. Here on episode 10, we are going to talk about why you need to show your audience the full Monty. And this is a Wine and Wisdom Wednesday episode. So not only are we going to talk about getting familiar with your audience and helping your audience get familiar with your storytelling, we're going to be pairing it all with a really cool wine that you've probably never heard of and that I think you should check out. So stay tuned for that. We're going to get it all going on episode 10 right here. So you have a story to tell and you wonder how to own the stage and give that killer speech that will captivate the masses. You don't just want to speak to them. You want to transform your audience. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment. Bold conversations about public speaking, storytelling, and business that give you real world valuable takeaways so you can craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your mic drop moment. Here is your host, Mike Ganino. So you've seen it. You've hopped onto Facebook and a friend of yours is talking about Succession, the TV show on HBO, or maybe they're ranting about Star Wars, the rise of Skywalker, or maybe the ending of the latest epic novel that everyone's reading. And you haven't read it yet, so you're like, how do I hide myself from this? I remember everybody that I saw really hiding from the spoilers for Game of Thrones when it ended in 2019. We don't want to spoil the ending. We want to enjoy the ending. And in order to enjoy the ending, we have to go along for the journey. It's not just that we don't want to know the ending. It's that we want to see all the other stuff. Because the reality is, even when we have the option these days to binge watch a TV show where we could just go to the last episode to see what happens, we want to go along for the journey. We don't cut right to the end and watch it. In fact, I spent all of this last weekend watching AJ and the Queen. It's a a new show on Netflix starring RuPaul Charles. And I could have just easily gone to the last episode and seen how does this whole thing end. But no, I sat through and I watched episode after episode after episode after episode in a row so I could experience it. Because the ending, it doesn't really matter unless we care. I mean, if we get to the end and we see what happens in Game of Thrones or Star Wars or the latest Harry Potter book or Dean Koontz or, or, you know, show with RuPaul, we don't really care. Even if we like the person or we like the actor, or we like the writer, we need to go on the journey with the characters. We need to understand what they've gone through. We need to attach ourselves to them. And the same thing applies for 
your opportunities to tell stories to your customers and your audiences. Whether you're on stage as a public speaker or you're on video or on a sales page with your ideal customer, you have to be able to show them what's going on so that they care about the ending. So often I will get hired to work with an organization and they'll have case studies and they want to show, you know, kind of client testimonials or client case studies in a way. And they almost always look like this. So-and-so was having a problem and then they found us and here's the way we solved their problem. These are all the tools we implemented. This is all the stuff we did and these are the great results they have. And then they wonder why it's not working. The reason it's not working is because we didn't care enough about that. Now, in the case of a case study, it's not that we need to care about the other client. It's that we need to see ourselves in what that client was going through. For example, if you were writing a case study and you were trying to present it to someone to show them that someone just like them had gone through the same things they're going through, then you need enough specificity there around what the other client was experiencing, what it felt like, how it was hurting their business, what was going on each day, what were some of the other things they tried but didn't work out. Clue, there's a really great place for you to insert some of the possible objections you might get embed in your case study the other things that the person in front of you might be thinking about trying. It almost becomes like a little bit of a, a foreshadowing or a little warning for them not to try that thing because it didn't work for someone else like them. Now, the challenge is we don't want to just get to the end. Otherwise, we wouldn't watch 10 seasons of Game of Thrones or eight seasons of Game of Thrones. We wouldn't have people that are going back and watching all of the Star Wars movies in order. We wouldn't have people on the internet asking, wait, how do these worlds interact with each other? How do they all connect? What's going on here? We would just skip to the end and see what happens, but that's not what we want. So often when I'm working with someone to help them with a speech, they're on stage and maybe they're telling a story or they're, they're implying a story. That happens a lot too, where it's missing some of the critical elements of story. And so it's more of a implication of story than it is an actual story. We often see, the thing I often see there is that it's just not enough specifics. We love to see what's going on. It's the journey's end can only really be appreciated if we've already fallen in love with the characters, if we've connected to the struggle. We have to wonder what's going to happen. If there's no what's going to happen moment in the story you're telling on stage, then it's time to go back to the drawing board. What are the ways that you can make your audience crave to understand what happens? Like, if you didn't finish the story, they would be chasing you down the hallway to beg you to tell them, so what happened? How does it end? And that almost always comes from specificity, from getting your audience familiar with what's going on. We have to show them behind the scenes, take them on the journey. Now, here's the other thing that might happen. You might say, okay, great. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write, 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 write. This, in fact, happened with a friend I was helping out today with a speech. And sometimes we had so much detail that it takes away from the story. Sometimes we had so much generic detail that it takes away from the story. Again, adding lots of words that that sound great and feel like they're helping to say something was amazing, something was wonderful, it doesn't actually add the specificity we need to get our audience familiar with what's going on. Our job is to give them the behind the scenes. And I've got a couple ways for you, five in fact, that I'm going to share with you in this episode that I think if you're looking at a story that you're telling or you're looking at your website, your about page even, and thinking, 
is the story here working? If you go on podcasts or, or are on media and you're telling stories, it's a really great way, these ideas I'll share with you later, to look at it and say, where might I go in and, and really doctor this up? How can I get the audience to really be wondering what's going to happen next? This is what I was talking about when I say you want to show them the full Monty. It's show them what's going on. Show them the story so that when they get to the end, they care. Because nobody likes a spoiler alert. So if you feel like your audience is just kind of thinking, come on, tell us what happens already, then you'll know you might have a problem. You might need to go backwards a little bit and say, where in my story have I not built in enough need to be on the journey so that they just want to know what's going on, what's the ending? Now, I'm Italian, so I have some uncles who fall in that category where they're telling a story and you're like, what is the point of this? Oh my gosh. It's usually because the details are wide ranging. They don't make a lot of sense and they're not the kind of things that create a captivating character that you have to know about. They're not really painting a scene that you're like, oh my gosh, what is this going to lead to? It's just a lot of fluff and filler that somebody likes hearing themselves talk. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about being specific. Being specific is about adding the kinds of details that make us interested, the kind of details that make us think, oh my gosh, I wonder what I would have been thinking in that same scenario. I wonder what I would have been doing if I had been in the place where so-and-so who's on stage telling the story is. It's one of the ways that you see great filmmakers connect. They allow you into the story to see what's happening and, and what's going on. What's, ha what's the inner dialogue, the inner monologue of this character? And that's what we've got to do if we're going to be much more captivating storytellers. Now, there's a couple of little tips and tricks. I'm going to share those with you here. But I thought, since we're talking about getting familiar, that maybe we would talk about getting familiar with some wine. Every week on the Wednesday episodes of the Mic Drop Moment, I pair little bits of wisdom with wine pairings because it's my show and I like wine. And so why not? I've had so many wine drop moments that were either inspired by wine or simply I was in wine country and was like in awe of what was going on. And this week's wine is no different. This comes from a winery here in California called Dirty and Rowdy Winery. Now, I know you're probably listening to this and you're thinking, that sounds like my kind of place. And it totally is. What I love about Dirty and Rowdy Winery, which you could check out at dirtyandrowdywinery.com, just Google it, it'll be the one that pops up, is that they do minimal intervention. That means in the winemaking process and in the winery, they do minimal in intervention in the bottle. A lot of people don't know that you can actually add like 300 plus things to wine. And it's important in some places. You want to make a specific wine, a specific style, and you're dealing with agriculture. Every year is different. And so if you're making wine that needs to be sold consistently to a market at a certain level, then you have to add things to it or you choose to add things to it. What I love about folks like Dirty and Rowdy Winery is that they do minimal intervention. They kind of let nature, they see what happened out there. And this is the ultimate expression of terroir in a way. Terroir is a fancy word that basically means kind of like from this place. So if you were to try wine from a specific place, you would know it was from there. Well, if you're intervening and you're adding sulfur, you're adding sugar or you're adding acid or you're adding, you're refining it and doing all these things, you start to take away the sense of place from it. But if you are minimally intervening, then you kind of really are 
getting a sense of what was it like, which is kind of what we need to do in our stories is put our audience there and say, what was it like? So the specific wine that I'm having today from Dirty and Rowdy Winery is their familiar Morvedra. See what I did there? You need to make your audience familiar with your story. And I'm having familiar Morvedra. <laughs> Morvedra, this one is really cool. It's about 30 bucks. You can find it on their website and a bunch of other websites. This is the 2018. So what's interesting, this is 100% Morvedra. So that is rare because it is a black-skinned grape that is uh, typically used to blend. It is not really something... Uh, you would find often 100%. It's it's in a blend called GSM, Grenache Syrah Morvedre. It's one of the famous uh, blends from southern France. And Morvedre actually is really a wide-growing grape that's thought to kind of originate in the western Mediterranean. Mediterranean. <laughs> Mediterranean, that's the word. And so it loves warm, dry climates. I mean, who doesn't? I'm a California native in that way. And it produces this very intense color with high tannins. Tannins are those bits that kind of make it a little bit, uh, a little, make your mouth mm, perk up a little bit. It's that if you suck on a wet bag of tea, that kind of like thing that happens inside of your mouth, the astringency, that's tannins. And it's needed to add uh, structure to wine. And so Morvedra is often blended with other grapes like Grenache or Syrah to give it uh, some color and to give it some tannins. In fact, if you see a lot of wine, if you have a lot of blends, that's often why certain grapes are grown is to add what's needed to other grapes that are going to be in that bottle. But this one, the Dirty and Rowdy Familiar Morvedra is not a blend. It's 100% Morvedra. And you have to really know what you're doing to grow Morvedra. It is uh, meaty and herby and strongly tannic, and it grows in these tight little clusters of small but dark grapes. And, and if you think about it, so small dark grapes means there's not a lot of juice inside, but you've got a lot of skin and pulp, which is where those tannins are going to come from. And what I'm loving about this one, and again, it's minimally intervened. So they have not added any yeast. This is just fermenting on the natural yeast. Whatever was going on in that place, another good sign of terroir, right? Because what's in the air? What's coming in? What happens here? So this is fermented with natural yeast. They also don't filter it. So it's uh, got a different look than, than other red wines that you would have. And they don't add any acid to it. They're not adding any acid. And there's minimal sulfur intervention here. So this one is really juicy. And it's got like a lot of red uh, kind of raspberry notes to it. And it has like a wild taste. Like if we were here, I think you'd be like, this wine tastes wild, Mike. I would think this would pair really awesome with like something from the grill that's in like the lamb family or like some lamb meatballs over the top of like a pureed cauliflower. I mean, that's like what I'm feeling this would go with here. Uh, but it's also... Uh, juicy enough that you could kind of just sip it on the front porch and it's got uh, it's got all this lovely uh, kind of light berry notes red berry notes to it but also some nice acidity so when it hits your mouth you're kind of mouth watering and speaking of mouth watering that's exactly how you want your stories to go so if you like the wine or like the idea of the wine check out dirty and rowdy winery this is the familiar morvedra and remember your job when you're telling stories is to make your audience's mouth water make them not want the spoiler alert because they want to see what happens i'm going to give you five quick ideas on how to do that in the rest of this episode so I'm handing out these snacks for my purse, like little Reese's and stuff. And one of my coworkers turns to me 
And she says, well, where are you going to pull out of your purse next? Some fried chicken. Right. And so I was just like, what? And I'm like, who would think I would ever be able to be that savvy to sneak an entire bucket of fried chicken in my purse? Like, I'm I'm good at what I do, but like, come on, that's a bit much. That was Christina Blacken from episode number nine of the Mic Drop Moment. In her episode, we talked about reestablishing the new quo. It was a really awesome conversation diving into diversity, inclusivity, performing, all kinds of really awesome things for speakers, storytellers, and entrepreneurs. So if you haven't listened yet, then go back and listen to episode nine to hear what Christina Blacken has to say about all of that. Don't miss a single Mic Drop. Subscribe to the Mic Drop Moment. All right, so we get it, Mike. We want our audience thirsty for the journey. We want them to go along with us so that when we give them the big ending, they've cared about what happens. So how do we do it? If you've got a story in your speech or a story you tell in your business, how do you make sure it's edge of the seat worthy? That it's let me pay attention worthy? Well, here's five things you can do. If you're telling a story about yourself or even someone else, what's often needed to add specificity and interest is to take us into the inner monologue. In almost every story, the interesting thing that's happening is not actually what's happening. It's the inner monologue. It's what's going on, what's being said. It's why characters in TV or film are so different in the way they communicate than we are in daily life. It's because they need to actually speak out their inner monologue. It needs to become outside external monologue for the audience to follow along. It's where great actors learn how to use small micro expressions. Actually, I saw some really great examples of this in Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. The two folks uh, that play the leads in there. So the one that plays Rey and the guy that plays uh, Ben Solo, they are genius at micro expressions, which actually are just little ways to let us in on the inner monologue. For most of us on stage, and especially if your audience isn't watching you on a huge like 100-foot screen, we need to let them in the inner monologue. What was going on? What were you saying to yourself? What was happening in your mind? What were you deciding between? That's going to help make your story more specific. We want to know the inner monologue because then we can check what we think our inner monologue would be. It's a way of letting us into the story from your perspective, which then allows us to develop our own perspective on it. So that's tip number one. Another thing you have to do is to be specific. Often, this is what's needed to make a speech funnier, to make it more interesting, to solve a gap. Uh, I'll get asked a lot of times to help somebody with a story that they're telling, and it's just not working for some reason. Typically, what happens is I'll just ask questions like, well, where were you exactly? And they'll say, uh, you know, because they'll say, I walked into the office or I was walking down the street. Well, what kind of street? Was it a suburban street with perfectly manicured little craftsman home with beautiful trees and dogs barking in the background? Or was it an urban street with graffiti and cool, cool art hanging out everywhere? Was it a, you know, downtown street with bustling people racing to and from? What was the street like? What was the weather like? What was happening? Was it gloomy? Was everyone bundled up and breathing tightly? Or was it sunny and kind of light and carefree outside? All of those things add specificity for the audience and brings them into the story. Another way to look for specificity is any of the places where you're using words like amazing or brilliant or awesome. Those are cheap words and they don't mean anything. 
even saying something like it was really difficult doesn't mean anything difficult how like you were straining under the pressure of trying to lift a weight or difficult like it was one of those moments where you knew what you were supposed to do but it just didn't feel right to do it because it was going to hurt someone what kind of difficult was it because those are all different and if you want to involve your audience you've got to stop being general and get specific we fall in love with characters scenarios and stories in specifics, not in general. We connect over the things that we have in common or the ways that we might have done something similar. It's one of the ways that they get us to love villains in movies. If they want us to care about a villain or someone who's been bad, they show us some specifics that make us say, you know what? I might have done the same thing. Or you know what? I felt that way too. That's how they get us to feel for them and care about even people who maybe don't seem like someone we should have cared about. So the first one was inner monologue. The second was specifics. The third is point of view storytelling. This is where you actually take your audience member through it as if it's them seeing it. So instead of saying, I reached over to the cabinet, you say, and as I'm reaching for the cabinet, I see something blue sitting there. It's telling the story as if they're looking at it happening too. And it's just a way of kind of getting them to engage differently. Think about it. When you're watching something and it's happening in front of you, it's unfolding in front of you as if you're the main character, that kind of changes the stakes a little bit versus just observing something from from out in the audience. It's not something you have to do the entire time, but using point of view storytelling as if the audience member is the one who's grabbing something off the shelf. Those kinds of things can sometimes bring the audience in to the story. Now, the next one, that was the third. The fourth one is paint images. Remember that when someone is reading a story, they can go back and they can see things. They can uh, go back and reread a word or something they lost. But when they're listening to you tell a story, especially on stage, you're all they've got. So how can you use your body? How can you use the way you stand to paint an image? How can you use your words to create an entire world up there? That's what we need to do as storytellers on stage. We've got to create images for them. And that might be from the blocking and the staging, how we move on stage, how we use our hands. It could be from small ways we stand, but it also can be from the way we describe things. When you talk about the way someone was dressed, we learn a lot about the way someone is by the way they dress, by the way they walk. How do they move through the room? How do they slide into a chair? Did they do it like a gazelle? Did they seem nervous? Were they creeping along the hallway? Those kinds of things can really start to tell us a lot about a character. And it makes us start to think of people we know who creep down the hallway or glide through the office like a gazelle. When you do that, you're really starting to engage your audience and getting them to want to go along the journey with you. And the last one is to really describe the textures and personalities and tone. If you're talking about someone who was your boss or your manager, if you're talking about someone who was rude, go deeper, go into the textures. How did it feel? What was going on? Was it thick? Was it thin? Was it cold? Was it steely? Was it blue? What did it feel like in the moment? 
Because if you can get them to one, see the inner monologue like we've talked about, you can go into specifics and not generalize by avoiding cheap words and, and giving them all of the detail they need to know that you weren't just having a salad. You were having a niçoise salad with dressing on the side. See, even that, you probably imagined a different scenario than I was having a salad versus I'm having a niçoise salad with dressing on the side. Those are different feelings. When you take them into point of view storytelling, where you're telling it as if the person in the audience is the one going through the action, when you start to paint images for them so they can see entire worlds being created in front of them, whether doing that from the way you move on stage to the way you hold your own energy, even to the way you breathe. When we breathe more shallowly, we make people nervous. When we use shorter little sentences and change our pace. We can control the engagement of the audience that way. Or perhaps it's through describing the textures, personalities, and tones of the people in the scene. When we do all of those things, that is when we create the stories that people don't want to walk away from. We create the kind of stories where they don't want the spoiler alert. They don't want you to just say what happened. They want to go along for the ride. And if your job is trading ideas, trading thoughts, trading your, your, your beliefs, your expertise, then your job is to be compelling. Your job is to be captivating. Your job is to be magnetic. And your job is to take them along for the journey. Make the ending worth the story. Tell a story that people want the ending to. That's the way that we get into their hearts, into their minds. And that's the way we create mic drop moments. That's the way we stand up there and we connect. So I hope you go uh, check out some of these tips. Go back and look at some of your stories and say, would inner monologue help here? Is there anywhere? Maybe just do like a Google search if you uh, or a control find if you have your scripts written and look for words like awesome or amazing or gloomy or rude or dark and see if you can't describe it more. So we are along for the road. Are there places where images would go? Go look at your script and see where you might be able to add textures and tones and personality. On this episode, we talked about why it's important to show your audience the full Monty and to make them not want the spoiler alerts for the stories you're telling. And we also got familiar with dirty and rowdy wineries, familiar Morvedra. If you want more of this, then check out and subscribe to the show. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. This episode has ended, but your journey doesn't have to. Head on over to MikeGanino.com. Access all the resources and links that Mike and his guests shared today. And keep on crafting your own story. That's MikeGanino.com. Your audience is waiting. Isn't it time to find your hashtag mic drop moment? 